Daniel chapter number 7, finishing up Daniel. And then once you have found Daniel 7, put a finger or a bookmark or something there if you're using a paper Bible and go to Matthew 24. Matthew chapter number 24. And we're going to finish up Daniel today. And we've obviously been talking about how Daniel was an influence and not just enduring the society, the world in which he found himself. He was going to live godly in a godless culture. He was going to thrive, not to survive. And so last week, as we, as we kind of transitioned into the last uh, few chapters of the book, we said that in order for Daniel to do that, in order for us to do that, you need the right perspective. And so we looked at that last week. Today, we're going to look at the hope that we can have. Why can we be an influence, especially as the world gets worse and worse and darker and darker? How can we be an influence? It's because we have Hope, And we're going to see that today. And so uh, we're going to talk mainly about the return of Christ and the end times. Now, it's funny because this is not a subject that we talk about a whole lot, uh, that you hear preached about a whole lot necessarily. Um, for a lot of us, uh, I'm sure, depending on what our experience is from hearing of other people talking about it or just our own thoughts about it, uh, it's not necessarily a comfortable subject to talk about, but it's interesting because even though that's the case, we've spent at least two weeks talking about it within the last year in here. And so I think the Lord's trying to tell us something. Uh, it, even though it might be something that we don't talk about a lot, when you study through Scripture, 25% of the Bible is prophecy of events that have not yet taken place. And for every one mention of the first coming of Jesus, there are eight mentions of his second. And so it's something that the Lord wants us to think about. And I think as we look at Daniel today, we're going to be able to get this perspective of hope that's going to help us to be the influence that we need to be. Now, we all know, and I think this is one of the reasons why we have kind of, we, we feel uncomfortable just thinking about end times and the book of Revelation, because we all know someone uh, who has a wrong response to learning about the second coming of Christ. We, 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 all, we all know who these people are, uh, people who become consumed with just studying about that. And they, they, that's all they want to learn about. That's all they're interested about learning. And they're just completely consumed with when Jesus is coming back and how the events of the world all fit into Scripture. And so they get so consumed with it that they stop witnessing they stop giving, they stop serving, uh, they, their life becomes all about timelines and they're studying history and present day events and they're reading every newspaper they can get their hand on and they're reading every blog on the internet that they can get their hand on. Uh, they're, uh, they're, they're only reading the book of Revelation. Uh, they've got passages of left behind memorized. Uh, they, uh, you know, this, it's conspiracy theory guy. You, you, we, we all know who that is, all right? Um, and I think there's a problem with that because that, I believe that when we become completely consumed with thinking about that and leave the other undone, we leave witnessing, we leave giving, we leave serving, we're not focused on being influenced, I believe that that's a strategy inspired by Satan to keep us from doing what Jesus has commanded us to do until he returns. In fact, look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter number 24. Matthew chapter number 24, verse number 3. This is right before Jesus is going to be betrayed, taken to the cross. He's trying to get his disciples ready for life without him when he ascends back into heaven. And so verse number 3 says, And he sat upon the Mount of Olives. The disciple came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be? 
the disciples say, Jesus, when, when, when will you come back? He's been talking about his kingdom that he's going to set up on earth. They've kind of figured out that as the Messiah, he's not come to set up an earthly kingdom yet. That's so what they want to know. When is that going to happen, Jesus? When, when will the end be? When is all this going to happen? Look what Jesus says. Verse number four. Uh, or and at the end of verse number three. And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed that no man deceive you. What's Jesus trying to say to the disciples? And what's he trying to say to us as we think about the end times and the world coming to an end and Jesus coming back? This is the one thing I think we need to remember. Don't get sidetracked. That's the first blank there on your handout. Don't get Don't get sidetracked. That's what Jesus, he's going he's gonna to talk about the end here. He's going to talk about all the signs of the times, as, you, as we refer to them, and all the things that are going to take place before he comes back and sets up his kingdom. But Jesus says, don't be sidetracked. Don't let men deceive you. Verse number five, for many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, look what it says, but the end is not yet. These are the signs. This is not the end. Verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows, the beginning of sorrows. This is, this is just, the, this is just not, not the sign that it's about to end. This is just the start, the beginning of sorrows. And then shall many be offended, or verse number nine, excuse me, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end shall be saved. Look at verse number 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and... Then shall the end come. Then shall the end come. We want to know what the sign of the end, the sign when Jesus is going to come back, he tells us right there. It's not the wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and famines and people being persecuted. Those are just the beginning. The end is when the gospel will be preached. What is, what is Jesus trying to say here? Okay, listen. All those signs that Jesus talked about, wars, rumors of wars, persecutions, famines, earthquakes, pestilences, all of that, every generation throughout history has seen at least some of those signs. These, these are not the end. And that's one of the problems is people focus on the end times and try to look at current events as, as the predictor of the end times is that we've seen all this before. It's happened like this before. It's happened in, in, in different places and to different people. But, but these signs have been seen by most generations. These are not the end. We get sidetracked by studying so many other things. And, and I'll, I'll admit that it's interesting to try to, to see how current events fit into Scripture, that we're living in the end times. And you've heard that. But people have thought that since Jesus left this earth. We get sidetracked by studying so many things, and this is what we need to remember. Because as Jesus finished up that list of all the signs, when will the end come? As the disciples asked him, he answered that question by saying, 
The gospel will be preached in all nations. Then will the end come. And so this is what we have to remember. The main thing is preaching the gospel. The main thing. If we're just studying Revelation, and, and again, there are, there are, there are all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable. So there is importance to study Revelation, and I think we're going to see some of that in just a minute. But if all we do is study that just for the sake of knowledge, then we've missed the main thing. The main thing Jesus said is preaching the gospel. We want Jesus to come back. We need to get the gospel to the rest of the world. Uh, we, we want Jesus to come back, then we need to reach the hundreds and thousands of people groups that are unreached, that do not have the gospel, that do not have scripture in their language. The main thing is preaching the gospel. If we're looking for Jesus to come back, then we can't be gazing up at the sky like the disciples did in Acts chapter number 1. We have to be looking on the harvest fields because they're white for harvest. When Jesus left this earth, the disciples thought he was going to come right back. So they just stood there gazing up at the sky, and he had to send an angel. And, you know, you've all been looking at something, you're trying to figure out what everybody's looking at, and I wonder if the angel came up next to him. What are we looking at, guys? We're supposed to get busy. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell them. The main thing is preaching the gospel. Now, because as we look at the end of Daniel here, from Daniel 7 to the end of the book, it's all prophecy. Daniel 7 to 12. And so, so we're going to kind of flash back in Daniel's life, where, where we ended in Daniel chapter number 5 last week. We said Daniel's probably about 80 to 85 years old. Daniel 6 is just a few years after that. Um, so we're going to flash back about 20 years. We said between Daniel 4 and Daniel 5, there was a gap of about 40 years, so a very large gap. So right in the middle of that is when God is giving these visions to Daniel. Up to this point in Daniel's life, kings have been the recipient, and Daniel has been the interpreter of these dreams, or what God wants to teach them. But here we see that Daniel is going to be the recipient, and the angel Gabriel is the interpreter. So... It's interesting because from Daniel 7 to Daniel 12, God shows Daniel everything that's going to take place from this moment in history to the end of the world. From this moment in history to the end of time in one vision. And so are we. So buckle up, all right? Number one. The Bible says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings, and I beheld the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. And so this is, it starts out, this first prophecy in Daniel 7, these first two beasts are things that Daniel has already seen. Okay? These four beasts that Daniel is going to talk about, they represent nations. They represent different empires that are going to rise. And we're used to that. Uh, we, we know animals representing nations. I mean, the mascot of the United States is in... Thank you. All right. Uh, so we're familiar with that. 
we, we, we understand that, that uh, in the political system, Republicans are represented by an elephant and the Democrats are represented by a donkey. And so we, we, we're used to that. And so we see here that Daniel sees his vision. Four empires represented by four animals or four beasts. The first one is a lion, and it represents the Babylonian Empire. Uh, it's said that uh, the, uh, the lion, uh, the, most, the king of the jungle, and so the most beautiful, the most resplendent of all these empires, he comes out of the sea. He's got eagle's wings on it. It says they were plucked off, and so that represents King Nebuchadnezzar going insane. We talked about that in Daniel chapter number 4. Uh, but then it says that a man's heart was given back to him, and so he was given back the kingdom. And so the Babylonian empire is represented by the lion. Then we have the bear that represents the Medo-Persian empire uh, that would come after Babylon. Uh, the, the, the bear is said to be lifted up on one side, which it just indicates that uh, of the two empires, the Medes and the Persians, the Persians were more powerful. The Medo-Persian empire was more powerful uh, and it would devour much flesh, meaning it would conquer the, the lion, the Babylonian empire. So look at verse number six. Now we're going to get into some things that Daniel has not seen yet. Okay, some, some prophecy that Daniel has not seen. After this, I beheld and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast also has four heads, and dominion was given unto it. Now, this leopard represents the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great. And so it's a leopard, which is already a fast animal, and then it has four wings to represent the speed in which the Greek Empire would conquer the known world. Alexander the Great and his armies would conquer the known world this time in less than 10 years, which was incredible. And so he, would, uh, he was represented by the leopard. Then afterwards, when Alexander dies, you can see it, was, it says that the beast had four heads. When Alexander dies, his empire is divided between four generals, four different generals. Then we have the last beast. Verse number seven, after this, I saw in the night visions of behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had 10 horns. And I considered the horns and behold, there came up uh, among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. So this fourth beast represents the Roman Empire. It says that it has iron teeth, giving it power. It has strength. It has uh, technology, uh, technological capability. And so it's very, very powerful. Uh, and, and it says that it has ten horns. And whenever you read in the Bible about something having horns, that represents power. Uh, think of it this way, okay? Uh, it, it, uh, if you have a pet at home, how many of you have a pet that lives in your house that has horns? Didn't think so, okay? Uh, Brenna's not here, so she has goats, all right? Um, but, but it has power. And so this animal, this beast, has ten horns representing ten kings that have power. Uh, and the last horn, it says uh, that, uh, it says, uh, let's see, yes, uh, it says in the horn were eyes like the eyes of man, so it looks human, but there's something subhuman or spiritual, demonic behind it, and that, of course, represents the Antichrist. And we, we see this vision continue. Look at Daniel chapter number 8. Look at verse number 22. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, 
talking about the horn, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. So again, remember, Greece will be divided into four different empires. The fourth, the strongest one, becomes the Roman Empire. Verse 23, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance, and understanding dark sentences shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. It won't be by his own power, by human strength, and he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. He's given power to destroy the people of God. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. So this is, uh, we believe this is a prophecy of the Antichrist at the end of time. Uh, he'll have a supernatural power behind him that's not his own power, that puts him in power. He's empowered to destroy the people of God. But it's interesting because we also see where this applies very practically to history that's already taken place. Uh, because at the end of that, that fourth kingdom that becomes the Roman Empire, after ten kings, the tenth king, remember the ten horns, uh, the tenth king becomes a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. And he becomes the ruler of the Roman Empire in 170 AD. And he is extremely ruthless. We just read the description of, of, of him in, in Daniel chapter number 8. He's extremely ruthless. He was known as the Hitler of the ancient world. Um, he murdered 800,000 Jews in one day in his empire. Uh, he, uh, once he took over the Roman Empire, he had a coin that was minted that had his face on it. And it also had King Antiochus, God in the flesh. Uh, he would set up an image of himself in the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem where God's presence was said to have dwelt. He set up an image of himself there and forced the Jews to worship them. He forced the Jews uh, to eat swine flesh in the temple, obviously desecrating the temple. But it's interesting is because at the height of his power, as it says there at the end of verse number 25, he shall be broken without hand, meaning human hand will not overcome him. At the end of, or at the height of his power, Antiochus Epiphanes developed a stomach virus and out of nowhere died. Not by human hand. Uh, God judges him. Now, what's interesting, and, and this is where I'm going with all this, because when we look through Scripture, Jesus, John, the Apostle John, and the Apostle Paul, in, in, in their writing, in Scripture, they all point to Daniel chapter number 8, even though it also refers to Antiochus Epiphanes, it, they all refer to it in, uh, in reference to the Antichrist. In fact, look at uh, 1 John 2.18, but this is interesting. Little children, it is the last time, and as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So, Daniel chapter number 8 refers to Antiochus Epiphanes. It also refers to the Antichrist of the end time. 1 John 2.18 says there are many Antichrists. So where is the connection? Well, if you remember, when we started this, we said that behind uh, the nations of the world, behind the leaders of the world, what puts them in power is that spirit of Babylon, that, that demonic spirit that works throughout the ages. And so uh, this is the reality of spiritual warfare. 
behind nations and rulers and kingdoms. Uh, there are spirits and principalities and powers. I mean, just think about this. When Nebuchadnezzar is in power, there comes a time where he does not like the Jewish people. And to deal with the Jewish people, he builds a container, he builds a chamber to deal with the problem. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, when he becomes the ruler of Rome, he decides that he needs to take care of the Jewish problem. Uh, we all know a man named Adolf Hitler, when he came to power, he decided that he needs to deal with the Jewish problem. And then for centuries, there are those in the Middle East that have hated the Jewish people and have wanted to kill the Jewish people. What, what are we, why, do the, why do the same things keep happening? Is it, is it coincidence? No. It's the same spirit, the same, the same spirit of darkness, the same spirit uh, uh, of Babylon that is working until now. So, we see Daniel as being given all of this. And how the same spirit that was affecting Daniel, that was working in Daniel, that, that was working at the turn of the century when Jesus came, and the same spirit today is still working. So why do we say all that? Because in the midst of this vision that God gives Daniel, about all these terrible things and how the same bad things are going to keep on happening, he makes sure that he gives them a vision of hope. So look at Daniel chapter number 7. Because now we get to the good stuff. Daniel chapter number 7, we get a vision of the very end. And this is what Titus calls the blessed hope of the believer. Daniel 7, look at verse number 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down. This is Daniel talking. And the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like a pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame, and his wheels were as burning fire. He's riding a fiery segue. Verse 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him. It's interesting. Whenever you read in Scripture and you see the word a thousand, okay, uh, or, or, or ten thousand, that is the highest number in the Hebrew language. That's the highest number that they have written down that they have a, a name, a number for. So when you see thousand thousands or in Revelation a thousand times ten thousand, that's the Hebrew way of writing infinity. And so we see a thousand thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. That means we can't even count them. We can't count them. Stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. Verse 11, I behold then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. Behold, uh, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame as concerning the rest of the beast. They had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Amen and amen. What's Daniel seeing here? He's seeing Jesus. He's seeing a vision of, of Jesus. Uh, I love what he calls him in verse number... Uh, 13. He says, one like the Son of Man. That's, that's significant. That's like Jesus' favorite nickname for himself in, in the New Testament. You see Jesus referring to himself over and over again as the Son of Man. 
When Jesus is standing trial in Matthew chapter number 26 and He's asked by the high priest, Art thou? He says, I am, and there will be one day when you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of God. He's quoting uh, Daniel chapter number 7 here. So we see that even in the midst of all of this prophecy that God's trying to give Daniel about the end, and hey, Daniel, it's bad now. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be bad throughout the rest of time. But at the end, I don't want you to miss the main thing, Daniel. I don't want you to miss the main thing. And, and as we think about the end times, and, and as you hear about teach, people that, that teach or preach on it, and, 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 and people's opinions about how things are, are going to happen, and some people say they're pre-trib, and some people say they're post-trib, and some people say they're pan-trib, they're just going to wait around and see how it pans out. Uh, they're, they're, they, they, they have their opinions and try to figure out exactly how it all works, works out. Uh, there was a man back Back in 1988 who wrote a book and got it published and sold several million copies and he was convinced that it was right it was 88 reasons why Jesus is going to come in 1988 Jesus didn't come in 1988 in case you were wondering and so he figured well something was off and so he re-released it the next year and said 89 reasons why Jesus will come in 89 uh, then he waited a few years and did it again in 1993 and 1994. And obviously none of those were right. I would be convinced that even if that guy got it right, even if he had it figured out down to the day, God would be like, we're going to move it. <laughs> because we don't know. The Bible says we don't know. So, with all of the opinions and all of the teachings, and certainly I, I say you need to study Scripture, and I believe that there is a, a pretty, pretty uh, accurate understanding from Scripture, but, but here's what we need to understand, okay? The main thing, here's what my official view of the end times is, and what I would encourage you to have at least as a starting point. My official view of the end times. Ready? Drum roll, okay? This is going to be groundbreaking, all right? Jesus is coming again, okay? And that's what your official view of the end times can be too. Jesus is coming again. Because honestly, if he comes before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or the end of the tribulation, it don't matter. He's coming again. Which means we still have a lot to do. So let me say this. Why does God give Daniel this vision? Because it, it, it is kind of odd. You ever think about this? Remember, this is in the middle of Daniel's time in Babylon. Okay, this is in the middle. He, he, hasn't, he hasn't seen the writing on the wall. He hasn't gotten thrown in the lion's den yet. This is in the middle of his time in Babylon. So why in the world has God given Daniel this vision of all this end time stuff? Why? Why Daniel? Okay? Well, this is what I think is happening. I believe that God is giving Daniel this vision when he's supposed to be an influence to encourage him to do that. Okay? Let, let, me, let, me, let me ask you this. Okay? You ever watch a, a TV show? It's a little bit harder now because of streaming services or, or uh, uh, you know, just so much available on, on, online. Have you ever watch a TV show and you're into it? I mean, you, you're, you're locked in every episode that comes out or you're binging it. You're just going through it and something terrible happens to one of the main characters and you're like, what in the world? Or somebody spoiled, the worst thing is spoilers, okay? Don't spoil things for people. Don't be that kind of person. Daniel, are you a spoiler? Don't, yeah, don't be a spoiler. Okay, all right, good. Um, but you ever watching something? Um, I, I think, I, I didn't really get into this until I think I met my wife, because she was wicked at influence. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, how many of you watched that show 24? Anybody in here? Hey, all right, good. These are my people over here. Um, 
Uh, if you, okay, I'm going to spoil things. I said don't be a spoiler. If you haven't watched this, it's been out since 2001. So if you haven't watched it by now, that's kind of your fault. Uh, but season three of that show, of course, Jack Bauer is the, the anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, okay, all right. Thank you, Shayla. Uh, but in season three of that show, Jack dies. I mean, he's the main character, or at least appears that he dies. Okay? He's like the main character in that show. Okay? Uh, if you're watching that for the first time and you're trying to figure out what's going on, I mean, it's, what in the world? Um, and it's a little bit easier now, but can you imagine being, you know, the person that was having to watch that on TV? And you're, I mean, your world is shaking at that point. Jack's dead. Um, but, but can I tell you, here, here's the wonderful thing, again, about whether it's streaming services or IMDb. It's a wonderful thing. Um, if you look on the cover for the next season, his face is on the cover. So... Apparently, he's still alive. Um, this is why I think God's giving this vision to Daniel. Because even in... This is Daniel. He's in Babylon. Okay, things look bad. He's Again, we've gone through all of the terrible things that have happened to Daniel. We talked about just the terrible situation he's in. And God's telling Daniel, hey, it's probably not going to get much better for a lot of people. But he's trying to tell Daniel with this vision right here. Hey, Daniel, guess what? My face is still on the cover. My face is on the cover of next season. Uh, uh, because while it, uh, while it may seem that bad guys are in charge and the bad guys are winning, someone else is writing the script. While, while, while it may seem that things are bad, while it may seem that right, life is rough, while, while, while things may not be going the greatest for you, uh, and, and things may be tough and things may be hard and things may be stressful and you're trying to figure out how you're just going to make it through Thanksgiving, um, can I tell you his face is on the cover? He's the one that's writing the script. And I think that's the, the perspective. That's the hope that we can get from Daniel chapter number 7. So uh, this, is, this is what I love about this. When early Christians, again, remember, people have been facing the same terrible signs, the persecutions, the difficulties that we've faced, and much worse, all of time. So when Rome was at its power and early Christians were being persecuted, and they were having to hide in the catacombs and they were, they were having to hold church in, in houses and whisper. You know how they would greet each other? They would greet each other with one word. They wouldn't say howdy or what's up. Or They would say Maranatha. Maranatha means the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Even though life is tough, even though things stink a lot of times, hey, Maranatha, the Lord is coming. So I have... 20 seconds. Let me, let me give you the rest of this, okay, real quick, because I, I, we need to finish Daniel. We've, we've got to start a new series next week, so let me give you this, okay? Ten facts about the second coming. We're going to run through this real quick, so get ready to write or type fast, all right? Here's just some things you can just be encouraged about. Number one, Jesus himself will come again. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Number two, we will meet him in the air. We will meet him in the air. Verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Number three, all who are in the grave will hear his voice. We take comfort. You lost somebody, they'll hear his voice. Uh, John 5, 28, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Number four, he will return when we are least expecting it. He'll return when we are least expecting it. Matthew 24, 40 through 42. Uh, he will return to the Mount of Olives. 
Zechariah 14.4, His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Number six, He will destroy the Antichrist. He'll be the one. It won't be human hands. It will be the hand of the Son of Man that will destroy the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2.8, And then shall that wicked be revealed, and the Lord shall consume the spirit of His mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of His coming. Verse 7, He will gather all nations and judge them. Matthew 25.32, Number eight, he will recreate the earth. Revelation 21.5, he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Notice that. He says, I'll make all things new. I'll not make all new things. He's going to make this earth new. He's going to make that heaven new. He's not going to make all new things. He's, he's going to make it new. He's going to make it the way that it was intended to be. I'll make all things new. Verse nine, every knee shall bow. We know that from Philippians 2, 9 through 11. And number 10, and I just want to say this and then we'll be done, okay? Number 10, this is interesting. He will eat and drink with us again. He will eat and drink with us again. And this is, this is something I just want to leave with you as we finish up here in Daniel to, be, to take with you. Because at the end of Jesus' time with His disciples on earth, right before He goes to the cross, He has the Lord's Supper with them. We call it the Lord's Supper. And he tells them, gives them the bread. He says, they were eating. Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. He says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. But then he, look what it says. It says in verse 27, he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is the blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Verse 29, this is important. This is what I want you to get. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I love what he says there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drink it with you. And we know that Revelation teaches about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so this is what I'd like to encourage you to do. Just, just to have that blessed hope of the Christian. Because again, we don't think about Jesus coming back enough. We don't let it motivate us enough. I think we said this a while ago when we were talking about Matthew. We've lost our hope. Not that we don't believe it's going to come, but we don't hope in it. We don't let it motivate us. And so next time when we're taking Lord's Supper, yes, I, I believe that needs to be a time when we look in ourselves and we ask the Lord to forgive us to make sure our relationships are right and make sure that we're right with Him, to thank Him for what He did on the cross. But can you take it one step further? And can you remember that Jesus said, hey, the next time I do this, it's going to be with you one day. The next, the next time I drink or eat this, it's going to be with you one day. I'm coming back to do it with you one day. Uh, we don't just look back at a body that was broken and a blood that was spilled. We look forward to a Savior who's coming back for us. So let me encourage you that. So as we leave Daniel, um, boy, take hope because he's coming back one day.